We are still looking, as you may expect, at Romans the 8th chapter, but we're getting to the last section. I suppose we would agree that if there's any logical writer in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul comes pretty well first. And then, if there's any one epistle or any one book in the New Testament, which is a most reasonable, logical treatise, it is the Epistle to the Romans. In fact, one person who was rather well up in the matter said that to be able to grasp all the arguments and take them to their logical conclusions in an epistle like this one to the Romans would be equivalent to a university education. Well, that we believe that it is. But my point is this. If I have any reason in my discourse, if I have any object in my writing, if you have anything behind you when you speak, you know what you're doing? Every one of us, we are hoping to persuade somebody. You think it over. You take your newspaper, you listen to a political address, or whatever it may be, if it's got any argument in it, whatever, of course if it's a, a vague thing that's got neither beginning, middle or end, well, you just shrug your shoulders and that's wasted uh, half an hour or passed it by. But if it's got any message at all, if the person knows his job and he's using words aright, he's trying to bring you to a conclusion. Well, you get those words in Paul's epistle. We conclude, therefore. And a number of times he says, therefore, therefore. So what am I getting at? Well, he's given us this great chapter, Romans the 8th chapter. And he commences and says, you see, no condemnation to you because God sent his Son. And all the way through this chapter, it's been emphasizing the Son of God or the Sonship, the adoption that arises out of it. And now he comes to a conclusion. He says, well now, what about it? So should we notice how he concludes? Verse 31. What should we then say to these things? Well, say to these things, of course, means uh, what's the consequence to you? What's the, what's the uh, outcome? What should we say to these things? If God be for us, well, there's his argument, who can be against us? Of course, many might be against us, but you know, who can effectually be against us? We shall, we shall not uh, avoid the enemy, because in this very, very conclusion, he even goes into debts that you say, well, it's strange to say that when he's telling you you're a more than conqueror. Look what he says. Verse 36, 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? He's piling it on. He doesn't say you'll never know these things. He says, supposing you do. As it is written, this is in harmony with what's already written. For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Who oh, is his name in all these things? Not exempt from them, friends, but in them. In all these things we can be more than conquerors through him that loved us. Well, this man's a super optimist, isn't he? But he's got good ground for it. So let's look again. How does he introduce his argument now? If God be for us, well, he's, he, he looks at you and he says, do you still want me to tell you how I prove God is for you? I've been hammering away at it since I started the first verse of this epistle. The gospel of God concerning his son. The gospel of God is concerning Christ. And concerning Christ given up for us. 
So he says, he that spared not his own son, you notice he's back on the first note that he struck in chapter 8. It says, um, verse 3, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son. I picked that up again at the end. He that spared not his own son. Now this word takes you right back to Genesis 22, to that extraordinary demand made by God upon Abraham to take thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, have you got it? All people stumble over that and say that's a barbaric thing, that could never be true. But you see, God had already provided on the top of the mountain that Isaac should never be offered. But Abraham was going to walk with his God that day. He was going to know what it was in a very little measure for a father, for a father to give up his son. And that man was called the friend of God. And the word with, the word spare not is identical, the word in Genesis 22, when the angel stayed the hand of Abraham and said, Now I know thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son. That word withheld is this word, exactly, word for word. So he says, you see, do you want any further exhibition if God is for you? He's done that for you. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. And this word delivered includes the very words that are used for his betrayal. It means to give on one side, and that may be done by a gift, or it might be by, by betrayal. And so we've got a, a wonderful thought here. He allowed all that to take place with regard to his beloved son. For us. He says, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Notice it's with him. Never apart from him. No prayer you offer is a legitimate prayer in the ears of God that is for anybody else's sake but for the sake of Christ. Of course it might become a convention that you say the words without thought that may be so. But no prayer can reach the ear of God that bypasses this one mediator, the Son of God. It's with him all things. Without him, nothing. And at the end it says, the love of Christ. The, the, the love of God. But it doesn't stop there. Some people do. The love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's with him. And it's in him. And it's through him. And it's by him. And apart from him, blank. Nothing. This is our testimony. Oh, I know some people would say we are, we are a bit crazy over rightly dividing the word of truth or we are everlastingly dinning about dispensation or we are thinking about heavenly places. So we are. Because that is the marvel that we've got this solid basis beneath our feet. And then standing here in Romans, we could say, and now God has given us a bit more. More. He's held it out to us like that. A free a uh, uh, calling that places us among the immortals, as it were, the right hand of God. But here's the basis. Let's be sure our feet are on this rock first before we stretch out to the earth. Well, now we take it another stage further. He asks two questions. Verse 33, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? And then he asks another question in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall accuse us? Who shall separate us? This word lay anything to the charge of 
comes in another verbal form of seven or eight times in the Acts of the Apostles to be accused of something. The town clerk so told the, uh, those who were making a bit of a riot at Ephesus. They might be called in question, a legal question. And now he says, who's going to lay anything to your account? Who's going to accuse you? And you know why he looks away at the right hand of God? Let's read how he puts it. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? His first answer, don't forget it's God that justifies. And he says, if you've got any sense, if you know that God will never condemn you, you're not going to bother about what other people may think, are you? Oh, if that's accepted, I'm already on the road to glory. But he says, who is he that condemneth? Why, well, he says, Christ, is, it is Christ that died. That's his answer. Yea, rather than he's risen again, who is even at the right hand of God. Now, in the legal <coughs> phraseology, in Old Testament law, in the disposition of the officers in the court, the accuser was on the right hand. You get a, 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 into that in the prophet Zechariah, when he saw, I saw Satan standing at the right hand to accuse him. Satan means the accuser, and there he is. But you know, when I stand there, or when you stand there, if you belong to him, the place that's occupied by the accuser in the law court will be the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. If that doesn't make you think the glory song, what will? The accuser's God. And he's not been beaten in a wrong sense. It's been right. God has been so concerned in Romans that he might be just God and the justifier. You see, uh, in chapter 3, he's concerned about the question of his own righteousness. He said in verse 4, Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and might overcome when thou art judged. So everything that calls God into question, he's got this one for I've been just in my salvation. I haven't excused anybody. I haven't done it by the mere sweep of my right arm. I've given my life's blood in the person of my son for you. And that's, that's God's infallible answer. That's where you and I stand against all accusation and all opposition. And this one at the right hand is ever living to make intercession for us. For us. No longer against us. So then he comes to the next word. Separation. And in chapter 5 it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have access. Well, access is just the opposite of being separated. Your sins have separated you from your God. The prodigal son goes to a far country because of his alienation from the father. But when he said, I will arise and go to my father, and started on the way back, oh, what a wonderful parable that is. Instead of the father sitting in his chair saying, well, let him come to the door and knock and shuffle his feet a bit before I open it. That's what you think of some fathers might have done, but not this father. That father, that father saw the prodigal son at a distance and it was a father that ran, not the prodigal son. A father that ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Oh, what a God we have. Oh, what a saviour he's provided. Oh, what a basis beneath our feet. Oh, what a prospect of glory. For you see, there's a bit there that says, Whom he called, they be also justified. Whom he justified, I'm reading verse 30, they be also glorified. The whole thing from beginning to end, assured. Not because of your great faithfulness, 
that they call Shakir. They call it the work of his son. Well, now we get to this word which I must come to, this word which I had started off on persuading. He says, if I haven't persuaded you, I've persuaded myself. And that's a good thing. I don't know whether you've ever heard a preacher preaching wonderful truth and you wonder to yourself, I wonder how far he believes it. Well, you know, I had one testimony given me once which I value very much. Perhaps I need a good of it, but I don't know. But somebody said to me at the end of the meeting, he said, he said, nobody else enjoyed that meeting you did. Yeah. Well, I thought, I don't know, that, that's, better than, that's better than some things that have been said. Well, I can say to the Apostle Paul, if nobody else has been persuaded, you have. Now, have you ever been asked by somebody, um, what is your persuasion? Here's a good answer. Who oh, is a good answer? Say, so you'll have to read a good bit, but I'll give you a few verses at the end of Romans 8. That's my persuasion. See, and the wife has gone into hospital this morning, and the poor man couldn't write the word unnominational. <laughs> because when she went in before, I simply said Protestant, so she was lumped into the Church of Eden, and had to do some explaining. So, <laughs> he was, he was got muddled up with writing the word, and <laughs> I, I said to some people, I said, what abomination do you say you belong to? Oh, I'm sorry, I meant denomination. <laughs> well, he doesn't, doesn't belong to any of these things. I am persuaded. He's persuaded by the logic of God's love, and the gift that supported him. So he says in verse, um, oh, I ought to tell you in verse 37, more than conquerors is a compound word, and it's the word super. It's a suit some of our young friends, when it, of course they go out to a party and it was super, or something. Well, it's a little bit of super. There's, there's several more. There's a super heavenly presently built upon this. But get this first. You're a super conqueror. And in chapter, at the end of chapter 3, I think it is, where grace abounded, where sin abounded, grace did superabound. Oh, there's some superaboundings in this epistle. And here's the one. <clears throat> we are super, uh, uh, super conquerors through him that loved us. Now he gets to his persuasion. And now he goes right out into the depths and the heights. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, that's the first use of them, in the New Testament, getting ready for the angels, no, getting ready for the principalities and powers with which our calling is associated in Ephesians. Not angels, they're out of it by the time we get to Ephesians, but you see, you needn't worry about whether you're going to get on with these aristocracy of glory, it's already settled. You need not worry. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, now he goes, goes off now. Here are some things we hardly know. No height. No depth. And then he looks around the universe to the very edge of time and he thinks, and any other creature that I cannot name. Like some people are worried about Philippians chapter 2 where it says that, he's, uh, that every knee shall bow things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth. They're never going to heaven, they're not going to believe Christ, they're never going to get eternal salvation, but they don't know what the things under the earth are. <laughs> I don't care. All I know is that there's no possibility of anything lurking anywhere that will not recognise Christ in that day. And there's nothing lurking anywhere, any other creature that can ever come in between me and the Son of God and intimidate me again. No wonder this man says we boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God forbid that I should boast, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he said, I can't help boasting there. 
I think that's good, isn't it? Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Well now, strictly speaking, we ought to start all over again with chapter 8, verse 1, but I'll leave that with you. Oh, it's a precious chapter. 